Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Radio. I'm your host, Bill DeFilippo, joined by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, what's going on? Nothing much. I'm doing well. Just ready to talk about uh, the Rose Bowl. Big yeah. game. Yeah, it, it's fun. We get to talk about the Rose Bowl, and even more fun, we get to talk about it because Penn State's in it. Um, if you asked either of us at the beginning of the season what we thought was happening, I think at the absolute most optimistic, um, it would take a whole hell of a lot of Bounces to go Penn State's way, but the absolute best they could have done would have been probably the Cotton Bowl. So the fact that Penn State is in the Rose Bowl, I mean, it was announced a few weeks ago and I still can't totally believe it. Uh, We're going to talk about, of course, the game, uh, try and give some insight into USC, what they do well, what they do poorly, how they've kind of become West Coast Penn State in terms of just being on a tear lately, and a few other things involving the Trojans. Uh, and we're going to make fun of Jabril Peppers a little bit, but that'll come a little bit later. For now, uh, Nick and I are joined by Dan Smith of Roar Lions Roar. Dan, what's going on? Oh, am I with Roar Lions Roar now? Did I get hired? Uh, yeah, we hired you back in like August, I want to say, something like that. Probationary. Oh, I, sh- I-, I should probably write something. Uh, yeah, I mean, that would be, be kind of nice if you wanted. But of course, I know you're a busy guy, so on your time. Uh, thank you for making time for us. We do really appreciate that, though. No problem. Yeah. You're, you're, my, you're my number one priority always, Bill. Yeah, I, I figured I would be because, you know, real life isn't important or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, let's, let's talk about USC. Uh, the Trojans uh, kind of had a weird start to the year. Um, they started by getting just absolutely destroyed by Alabama, 52-6. to Came out the next week, beat Utah State, and then had back-to-back road games against Stanford and Utah, which they lost. Uh, really, really tough schedule to start the year. Things got a little bit easier down the stretch. Uh, they haven't lost since September 23rd of that trip to Utah. 9-3 uh, coming into this game. Uh, just missed a chance to play for a Pac-12 championship. And, Nick, this team has really been – I mean, they've been on fire over the last uh, three months or so. What has been uh, the – well, like, what's been the reason for this turnaround and USC getting to a point where they are playing in the Rose Bowl despite starting the year 1-3 and three and 0-2 and in the conference? I mean, plain and simple, it's been Sam Darnold. I mean, he came in – he – took over the quarterback position and just completely changed everything about the way this team played. I mean, Max Brown um, started the year for them and just was not great. I mean, they I, he's a guy they expected a lot more from, former blue-chip recruit, had been in the system for three years, and he just never really put it all together in a way that was going to be good enough to compete. And... To be fair to Max Brown, he did have to do that against Alabama and Stanford and Utah, which are three, obviously Alabama and Stanford and Utah are both good to great teams. Um, But what Sam Darnold did just coming in and being more of a running threat, which is something that, I mean, think about the last time USC really had a true like running quarterback. Like he, he just, he's completely changed the way the offense has worked and it's, made them extremely explosive to the point that it's pretty um, inarguable that Penn State and USC are the two hottest teams in the country. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And Brown's actually really interesting. He uh, was a freshman. Uh, he was in the exact same class that Christian Hackenberg was in. And by his 24-7 composite rating, he was actually ahead of that. Hack uh, had... You know, I, I think he had a couple of moments where he got some playing time, but nothing really uh, too serious. But yeah, he took over at the beginning of this year, and I don't know what it's been about Darnold. It may be his legs. It may just be the fact that, uh, like, Brown, I don't even know what was up with him. Like, he he, he wasn't bad, necessarily. He completed a little under 62.5% of his passes. Uh, wasn't really scoring touchdowns, two touchdowns, two interceptions. But the thing that I, that sticks out to me when I look at their two numbers, uh, sets of numbers, is that Darnold in 313 pass attempts has been sacked five times. Uh, Brown in 93 pass attempts was sacked six times. So Darnold brought, like you said, Nick, this uh, this extra layer of mobility to this offense that has opened things up for uh, their fantastic wide receiver, Juju Smith-Schuster, for uh, a really talented stable of running backs led by Ronald Jones. And it's weird. We see this in football sometimes, but a team will just get that shot in the arm when there's a quarterback change. And that's happened to USC in a really, really big way. It's made them dangerous. And Dan, it's the kind of thing where going into this game where you look at this offense, Penn State's defense has been pretty good. But I think we would all agree it would be a bit of a surprise if this offense wasn't able to move the ball on the Nittany Lions and put some points on the scoreboard. Yeah, and I think you guys get to the heart of the basic reason. And there are obviously things that have gone on on a variety of facets for USC since the early part of the season. But Darnold's mobility how much that's helped the offensive line for USC. They're very good against, you know, again on running plays, they're road graders, but not necessarily great in pass protection. And Darnold's legs have really made the difference in that. Um, you know, as far as the ability to extend plays, the ability to you know move about the pocket, have a comfort level there and, and allow some of these playmakers, you talk about them being able to move the ball. They've got playmakers, at the running back position, they've got playmakers at wide receiver, and it allows you time to get those guys open, get them in space, get them the ability to make plays. They like to do some short passes across the middle, especially. They like to get the ball out uh, when they can. So it's going to be important, uh, you know, pursuing and tackling, which is, I would say, probably a strength for th- this Penn State defense for the most part. Uh, it's going to be a little bit tougher with some of the uh, you know absences uh, that are going to be uh, in place there. But f- for the most part, I think that you know it's one of the better defensive units as far as uh, tackling on the back end is concerned that USC's played. But you know, there's no question that they're a good offense that can move the ball, and that that's uh, you know one of the big reasons now with how they've gelled over the last couple of months that they're in the position that they are to be in this Rose Bowl. Yeah, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before the pod, but the thing that has been uh, just so interesting to me uh, with this USC thing is how, uh, if for, for my money, their best offensive player in uh, junior wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster has, it's really seemed like night and day in a way for him ever since Darnold took over at quarterback. Uh, first game of the year was against Alabama. He had one catch for nine yards. Of course, part of that has to do with the fact that Alabama uh, and his defense is ridiculous, but th- there was just nothing there for really anyone in USC's offense. And as the 
first couple of weeks went on, he just did not look like the kind of guy who uh, who really take over a football game on the offensive side of the ball. The uh, Utah game comes around. Darnold starts getting serious playing time. Smith-Schuster then goes on a tear. Eight catches for 98 yards, seven catches for 123 yards, five catches for 113 yards, nine catches for 132 yards. For me, I think that's the matchup on that side of the ball that I'm most interested in seeing how Grant Haley and John Reed and Penn State's other defense backs deal with him and Darnold's ability to get the ball into his hands. Uh, Nick, let's move over to the other side of the football. USC's defense, uh, when I think of it, and this may just be because this is always what I think when I think of USC's defense, I think of a unit that is fast, that is physical, that is talented, and when it is on, it is able to stop just about anyone. Would you agree with that assessment, and is that accurate for this year's defense? Yeah, I think fast is the key word. I mean, when you are consistently recruiting high four-star players, five-star players year in, year out, one of the biggest byproducts that comes out of that is a very, very fast team overall. I mean, we see it with Ohio State with how quick they are all over the field, both offensively and defensively. We see it with Michigan with how fast their defense is. You see it with Alabama. And even though USC hasn't been playing on the field at the same level as Alabama or Ohio State the past few years, they've still been, they've still been recruiting at that same level. So that just overall speed on the defense is something that Penn State and any team that plays USC uh, definitely has to be afraid of. Uh, in particular, for me, I I love USC's uh, cornerbacks. I love Adoree Jackson. I love Iman Marshall. Like those two together are just a outstanding, outstanding duo. And it's going to be a really, really interesting test to see if Penn State's deep passing game, which has conquered previously um, unscathed secondaries like Wisconsin's this season already. It'll be interesting to see if they are able to do what they've been doing with these 50-50 jump balls and just trusting McSorley, just trusting his receivers. It'll be interesting to see if that works against a guy like Adoree Jackson, who is just a otherworldly athlete. Yeah, and the thing that is that gives me hope as a Penn Stater when I look at uh, USC's numbers is their defensive passing ISO PPP, uh, Bill Connolly's metric for explosiveness. They're 81st nationally in adjusted sack rate. Uh, they're 87th nationally. So it seems like Trace McSorley will have time to maybe sit back and potentially take the top off of this defense, even though, uh, as we learned today, Saeed Blacknall is going to be suspended for the game. Blacknall, of course, uh, just destroyed... Wisconsin secondary. Uh, Dan, I think that, especially in the passing game, it seems like Penn State's offense is going to have the opportunity to potentially make some big plays, and that is and that is even though Jackson and Marshall are both really, really good defensive backs. Yeah, I think it's strength for strength for these teams when you go with Penn State's passing game against USC's secondary. You talk about the great corners that they have. They basically play most of the game in nickel because they know the secondary, the strength of the team 
Uh, Harris, the third corner, has been starting the last four games for USC. Uh, they like to mix Chris Hawkins, the backup safety, in with the starting safeties, McQuay and Tell. Um, you know that that they know where their bread's butter. They know that the secondary is the strength. The defensive line, which has been uh, you know really uh, torn up by some off the field issues this year, they only come out with two defensive linemen. They they have a a sort of a a version of a, a nickel of a four three under scheme where they have only two down line and they play with four linebackers and then five players in the secondary. Uh, you know, so they have guys at linebacker who are sort of their pass rush specialists. Porter Gustin will be that guy for them. But you know, it's the pass rush, as you said, it's not necessarily the strength of their defense. But they have guys that they're confident will be able to go one on one. But again, they, you know, they haven't faced many wide receiver groups that are that are as adept as Penn State's wide receiver group is at winning one-on-one battles. And Blacknell's a guy you talk about who can open up the top a little bit, has been doing a better job over the last few weeks running routes, which is something he hadn't really been asked to do for most of his career up until recently. So it's disappointing to lose him, but he's not a guy necessarily who's as, as much of a go-up-and-get-it type as a Chris Godwin is, as a Mike Gesicki is, as even, you know, uh, to a lesser extent, uh, DeAndre Tompkins and Deshaun Hamilton. So you have the guys who are, you know, where their real strength is being able to, to win those one-on-one battles and those jump balls that McSorley has really come to lean on in these games. Those guys are still intact, and I think you're going to see USC in some one-on-ones a lot of the time that is going to give them some opportunities. It's just a matter of making sure that they're, you know, not, you know, underestimating the speed that uh, you and Nick were talking about. You know, this may be the fastest secondary they face, so it's going to be a little bit of an adjustment for them. Uh, you know, there's some things that Penn State could do to prepare, you know, get their fastest players to play in the scout team as, you know, in the secondary. But, you know, at the same time, you know, until you get out there, uh, it's one of those things they're going to have to adjust to. Penn State's a second-half team for a reason, but, you know, it, it, you, you don't want to fall behind too much in a team that I think has a little bit more firepower than most of the teams Penn State's played, uh, without a doubt. Yeah, and another thing that I find really interesting, uh, again, looking at some of these numbers, when I look at USC's defense uh, and their ability against the rush, I think we see the fact, kind of like what you said, Dan, they're putting more of an emphasis on uh, getting linebackers and players in the secondary on the field as opposed to guys up front. Uh, they're 79th in rushing ISO PPP, 119th in power success rate, and 83rd in stuff rate. So Penn State, uh, uh, the offensive line for how well it played in the second half against Wisconsin is still a bit of a patchwork offensive line uh, at this point. Brendan Mann and Andrew Nelson are still expected to be out. Uh, left to right is almost certainly, barring something crazy happening, going to be the same as it was against the Badgers. This and that's unfortunate yeah. because it, it's it's for you know when you talk about the strengths of USC's defense against the run, their strength is that their linebackers cover a lot of the field. So if yeah. you try to run wide to get away from the offensive line because you're you have a little bit of lack of confidence in it, you're going into where they're good. And they have guys like Hutchings and Smith who cover a lot of ground coming from the inside, and you know that makes it tough. You know it could be another you know tough one for Saquon Barkley going up against this defense because of the state of the offensive line for Penn State. But it seems like it's the kind of defense where if Saquon has a little bit of room to operate and make some things happen, instead of, you know, a two, three, four yard gain, it can go a little bit longer, which I, I mean, Penn State, we like we know they want to get Saquon going. And I would not be surprised looking at some of these numbers if that would if the offensive line is going to be able to do some stuff up against this USC front and get Saquon 
get them in a position where they don't need Trace McSorley to throw the ball on, you know, third and seven, third and eight, third and nine. Uh, one thing that Nick wanted to do is he wanted to fawn over Adore Jackson for a little bit. I am all for this, and that'll actually lead us into uh, into some original reporting that Dan did. Uh, so, Nick, if you would like to uh, begin your discussion of Adore Jackson and how he is what people think Jabril Peppers is. I will. And real quick, I'll just I'll just add on to what you're saying about Barkley, though. Um, I mean, really, what you're saying about how if, as long as Barkley, if he's able to kind of move through the middle and just find those little creases in the offensive line, really, that's where he's at his best, isn't it? I mean, over the last few years, like, when he is really on top of his game, it's when he is just using those little subtle jump cuts and little things just to fight through the middle of the line and get that open space in front of him. I mean, that's yeah, really when I mean, he's at his best. He is. I mean, but again, that goes back to the issue now is that you've got a lot of second string guys, guys playing out of position, everything. Those lanes haven't been there in recent weeks. And I think that's why we've seen a little bit of a fall off in production. Obviously, he's talented enough that he's still going to get you know, a couple of those runs where you, you see, you know, why everybody fawns over him. But, you know, it's just the, the point of the season here where when you've lost as many guys as they have on the offensive line, those those creases that he's so good at getting into are, are available less and less. Right. And hopefully that's something they've been able to fix a little bit, at least with the extra bowl practice. I mean, at least during the season, it seemed like they were breaking a new offensive lineman every week. Now, at least they've known who the offense, the starting line is going to be for a couple weeks now. So maybe they're at least able to gain a little more of a sense of familiarity during practice. Plus this line, plus this line has played with each other uh, a little bit, which I, I mean, when you think of some of the mixing and matching that we've seen, uh, over the past few years and over the course of, you know, specific games. I mean, that's something that hopefully ends up being really big and hopefully works in Penn State's favor to an extent. And I don't think we even need to see Saquon, you know, get handoffs and consistently get, you know, five, six, seven yards per carry. If he's able to break off, you know, one for 15 or 20 yards every, every handful of carries, I think that's something that they would absolutely live with. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, so as Bill was saying, let's start by saying Jabril Peppers is an outstanding football player. Yes. He's one of the best athletes in the country. That is indisputable. He has incredible upside. Uh, literally every adjective you could say about him, you could say. There was a lot of um, a lot of disagreement within the college football community, I think, Um just from a fan base perspective of why he was the Heisman finalist and why he was the big 10. He was defensive player of the year, right? Uh, yes, I believe he was. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, just a lot of like fans weighing in saying disagreeing with that because I mean, frankly, he wasn't even the best defensive player on his team because Jordan Lewis is a gift to mankind. Right. But all, all those things that people talk, all those things that people say about Jarrell Peppers, all those things they say he can do. That's, I mean, a Dory Jackson already kind of does all of them. Like it's obviously he plays a slightly different position. Like a Dory Jackson is a cornerback. Like that's what he'll be at the next level. He's a cornerback. Jabril Peppers could eventually be like a nickel guy at the at the NFL level, but he's probably a safety or some sort of hybrid outside linebacker. So they're slightly different in the in their position. But the difference with Adoree Jackson is that he dominates the one thing he does on defense, which I think is the biggest knock on Peppers. Like if I'm an NFL GM right now, scouting for the draft, 
I Peppers is not a guy I'm looking at in the first round because sure he can he has the ability to do a lot of different things. You give him some handoffs at running back. You can put him back there for kick and punt returns. You can put him in outside linebacker. You can put him back there at safety. But aside from the kick return aspect, is there really one thing that you look at Jabril Peppers as a player and say that he is definitively, definitively excellent at this one thing? I don't think so. But with a Dory Jackson, you can do, really look at him and you could say, all right, he is going to be a lockdown cornerback. In college, yeah, there's it's been an issue of focus sometimes where he hasn't quite been that guy, but things like that tend to iron themselves out in the NFL. If I'm an NFL GM and I'm choosing between those two guys, it's not even a decision for me. It's a Dory Jackson easily, obviously depending on positional needs and whatnot. But as far as a player that I'm choosing between like a Dory Jackson, I know what I'm getting and I know I get in the upside of a return guy as well. I know I'm getting a guy that could throw in on offense if I need to, but I also know I'm getting a lockdown cornerback. So all this praise that's been going on Jabril Peppers, both as a Heisman finalist and as a future NFL player, some of that praise needs to be going towards Dory Jackson because he kind of already is the guy that I know at least I personally would like to see Jabril Peppers become. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I'd go as far as uh, saying hesitant to take Peppers with a first-round pick because I think I would be pretty comfortable with my team taking him um, sometime in the first 32 picks. The good news, I mean, the good news. Well, that's him, because that's because you're a Patriots fan, and Bill Belichick would turn him into freaking Junior Seau. I want Christian McCaffrey. What the hell are you talking about? Either one. Yeah, but no. The thing with Peppers is he, uh, for all the tinkering with his position he has basically said listen i'm a safety i want to be a safety that's my position at the next level so at least like what the one the the biggest concern with him in my eyes is you know he he's good at a lot of positions but he hasn't really carved out one specific one i don't think that won't be as big of an issue Uh, but yeah i'm i'm in mostly full agreement with adoree jackson uh the way that usc uh I think it was the Notre Dame game. Uh, we especially saw this where they were just finding ways to use him on offense, using him on special teams. He had a good game defensively. That's the kind of player that is really dangerous. And for Penn State, and Dan, you can uh, dive in on this uh, based on you know some of the people that you've talked to. It seems like Jackson is the kind of guy who Whenever he is on the field, on offense, on defense, on special teams, you absolutely have to account for him. Real, real quick, you mentioned uh, the Notre Dame game. What ball did Notre Dame play in this year? Uh, they did not because they went four and eight. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I was waiting for you to do that. So thank you, Nick. You're welcome. Um, do I get to go now? Uh, yeah, if you sure. Yeah, talking. Yeah, go ahead. I don't really have any strong thoughts in Notre Dame, so I'm just going to move past that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so with Jax, I mean, you know, I, I think scouts are you know, pretty uniform on Jackson. You know, he's he's you talk about the speed. He's the guy. He's got incredible speed, and that bleeds over into the return game. You know, those are the two ways I think you're really going to see him impact the game. Uh, you're going to be him at the cornerback position and him in the return game. He, he kick returns and punt returns. And he's dangerous there. Um, so, you know, it's definitely something they've got to account for. Um, you know, it's occasionally been an issue for them this season. Uh, it'll be important for some quality kicks from Joey Julius. 
some quality punts from Blake Gillikin. And then, uh, you know, the coverage team has been definitely improved this year, especially compared to some of the years before. But they're facing, you know, very well likely the best uh, best return guy that they're going to see this year. But you talk about the whole the team as a whole. You know, we've talked we've touched on the secondary. We touched a little bit on you know, the linebackers and that they're they're good against the run, especially going side to side. Um, you know, and with the defensive line, you know, we were talk- we were burying the defensive line a little bit. Let's say the nose tackle, Tuiki Tuiki Lovato has had a nice season. I'm Tough clapping name. for Tough I'm clapping name. for you saying it over here. Man, I thought I had it yeah, too, and then I, I blew it twice. I blew it twice. I, I didn't want to be the one to say his name because, yeah, but yeah, good. Uh, you went for it, Dan. I'm Stevie Tuiko Lovato. There you go. The nose tackle and having a nice season. You know, guy who you know probably gonna be able to on the inside eat up a, a two blocks at once. You know, you talk about them only having two down linemen at times, but uh, you know he's gonna be able to make up for that a little bit with uh, his size and strength. Um, you know, we, t- we touched on the offensive line. We touched on Sam Darnold. We hit the receivers a little bit. You know, Smith Schuster's the guy that people talk about. You know, he's got a first-round grade from from what I've heard uh, from from scouts around. Deontay Burnett, you know, has been a guy. And Darius Rogers. Those are, those are the two guys who have had to step up with Stephen Mitchell getting hurt midway through the year. Uh, and, you know, they, you look into this team, what are they going to do? They get in third-down situations. Rogers is a guy that they really like to rely on a little bit there. Um, you know, he's a good route runner, has good hands. Uh, so, you know, he's a guy that they like to in those, those third and five situations, a guy that they can really go after. You know, and then they get down in the red zone because we talk about they're going to move the ball. They, they've, as the season's gone on, they've emerged a couple of uh, guys. You know, Taylor McNamara is their starting tight end, but Imader Bebe, he's a guy, the young tight end, who's really emerged as a red zone threat here for them. So that's a guy that they've got to watch. We've talked about going into the Wisconsin game, how Penn State can be susceptible in the seam at times. That it could be a guy that they got to key in on there. Um, and then, you know, just the, the, we, we've sort of not even touched on it, but they've got a, a really good running back duo. Yeah. A scout I talked to said one of the nation's best, and Ronald Jones and uh, Justin Davis. Uh, Jones is a little bit more of the speedy guy. Davis a little bit uh, stronger and a little bit bigger. You know, and they're guys that they've got to make sure that they're sure with tackling. Are you going to get in a situation like you did in the Wisconsin game where you blow one tackle and suddenly you've got a long touchdown? So things that they definitely got to key on. There's a lot of weapons on this team on both sides of the ball. Uh, it's I say, you know, I think in all fairness, a really good matchup for Penn State. I think this is going to be a game of, of two teams that have some strengths that match up, a couple of things that each team can exploit, and, you know, some difference makers, Saquon Barkley, uh, you know, Adore uh, Jackson. You know, uh, you know, there's guys like that. There's some big names in this game, and uh, it should be an exciting one. Yeah, and one thing uh, that I want to touch on, uh, talking about Penn State now, uh, and Dan, you could go into depth a little bit on this. Uh, kind of, if you want to take it from the perspective of how will USC uh, react to the suspensions of Manny Bowen and Saeed Blacknall. That's fine. Or if you want to talk about what Penn, you think Penn State's going to do to replace those two dudes, also cool. So have some fun. Well, Black Knoll's a pretty easy fix. DeAndre Tompkins started six games this season. He'll slide into that slot. He's got experience playing in the slot. He's got experience playing on the outside. They'll play him primarily on the outside in this game. He may spell 
Deshaun Hamilton in the slot a little bit here. He's his backup as well. And in those cases, Irvin Charles will play on the outside. Um, you know, Juwan ja- uh, uh, Johnson primarily is just in the role of, you know, give a, a breather or two for Chris Godwin when he runs on fly routes. So he's not really in the mix there. But, you know, really be, for the most part, DeAndre Tompkins getting in there. And he's shown uh, flashes of really good play this season. Still needs to get a little bit more consistent catching the football. But, you know, made significant strides this season from last season when it when he seemed to be in his head a little bit. I don't think it's too much of a drop-off. I don't think it really changes the way that USC is going to approach this game very much from a game plan standpoint. I think the much bigger issue is losing Manny Bone. He's been, the, you know, the steadiest of the guys in the linebacker just by virtue of the fact that he's been able to, to play in every game. You know, since game two of this season, he's been, you know, a starter getting a ton of snaps. Um and it's been, you know, a, a case of, you know, Bowen being, you know, uh, uh, really a player with getting a lot of that playing time who's really developed as the season's gone on and become a guy that they, you know, just really need to be in there because they, you know, we've talked about it before with Wartman White out. There's very little depth at that linebacker position. They're going to have to rely on Koa Farmer. He's been, I think, the most charitable way you could say to playmaker at times. <laughs> when he gets to go on those blitzes, uh, he can he can do some nice things. He can, uh, you know, bat down a pass. He can force a fumble and get a hit on the quarterback. You know, he's good as a blitzer. But in any other situation, uh, not not strong there at the linebacker position. Not great in space. Uh, hesitates at times. Guesses wrong at times. And somebody that I think, as an offense, you talk about game planning for USC. I think that they can really key in on Koa Farmer, which means I think that they're going to play a lot in the nickel. Uh, you know, but at the same time, you can't necessarily just go in there the whole time because USC is a good enough running team. They got good blockers, they got good running backs, they got a quarterback who can run a little bit. Uh, Penn State might not have the luxury to spend a ton of time in nickel in this game. So then, what do you do? You know, you try to hide Farmer a little bit, maybe get Cam Brown some snaps in there. I, you know, it's tough to get a read on where Cam Brown is. He hasn't played at linebacker since. We since the Ohio State game, really, he hasn't been in there at the linebacker position. He's been in, you know, in garbage time, but has been relegated back to playing special teams, which is where he's been really helpful for the team. Now suddenly you lose him on special teams. He's a guy who's been able to get in and disrupt some things on punt on the punt unit on the uh, punt return unit, I should say. Uh, now you've got him and at linebacker potentially. Um, you know, it's it's a little bit of a tough situation here. I don't think they feel comfortable moving Cabinda to the outside. I don't think there's going to be a situation here where they have Smith in the middle and move Cabinda outside to try to to keep uh, Farmer and excuse me Farmer and uh, Brown off the field. Uh, you know, so I don't think that that's going to be in the cards. But uh, you know, it's 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 a tough one for them right now. That's a position they really couldn't afford to lose somebody. Uh, and, you know, we're looking at it right here. Uh, you know, they've got time to game plan for it, uh, but, you know, it's going to be a, a tough challenge for them, and it's going to be something where I definitely think USC looks at that as somewhere that, where they can take advantage. Uh, Penn State's got a good starting unit on defense, but they one position where they, they didn't have much depth is linebacker, and now they've, they've taken a blow there. Yeah, and I think the big thing with Bowen is – USC, and we talked about their speed on defense, so they got some speed on offense too. Bowen is Penn State's fastest linebacker. Taking him out of the equation, I, I definitely think that, uh, I mean, like you said, it's a huge, huge, huge loss. Uh, Nick, Dan uh, Dan touched on everything there. Is there anything that you'd, uh, you'd like to add? 
Um, just to add on Bowen, I guess I know a few weeks ago, towards the end of the season, we had talked a little bit on the podcast about how Manny Bowen kind of actually it was the uh, the award show um, when I named Bowen as my defensive player. Of the, uh, the what was it? The Lavar Arrington defensive player of the year for Penn State, um, simply because he he's been that one consistent face in the linebacking core that, which is a linebacking core that has pretty much determined how Penn State's defense has played this season. Because as it got healthier, obviously the defense improved. So yeah, losing Bowen is huge, uh, if only for his speed alone, like you mentioned, which. Um, Kabind is not the fastest dude in the world, and I think Bowen having Bowen next to him really helps um, because Kabinda is such a smart guy. He like he's very good at diagnosing plays, so being able to kind of direct Bowen where he needs to go, I think that's just a really really positive relationship between those two on the field, um, which hopefully we'll see grow further next year. But um, it is really unfortunate that this is the game that Bowen has gotten himself suspended for because. This is the kind of game, especially this is the kind of game that Bowen could really like shoot his name into national prominence, like with a big performance. He's like a player like him. If you show off your speed on the national stage against a team like USC that, you know, they're going to test you and try to stretch you outside with whether it's with Darnold or Jones or Davis or whoever, um, or even on a screen pass, he, he like towards the end of the year, Bowen was excellent on those wide receiver screen passes and on quarterback option runs. He did a really, really great job of tracking those guys down. So this is a really big opportunity for him, in my opinion. It's really disappointing to see him uh, not playing in this game. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Nick. Definitely. Um, yeah, I think it's uh, it's about that time where we say who we think is going to win this game. Uh, do one of you guys want to go first? Sure, I will. Um, so I'll preface I'll preface my prediction with a few uh, numbers. I pulled off the uh, S&P Plus pages here for USC and Penn State. So Dan mentioned earlier about how these teams match up really, really well. Um, well, it's not necessarily match up really well, rather that it's a really good matchup. Um, and it's interesting because they... They're very similar in a lot of ways. Obviously, they're both blistering hot right now, on both on offensive and defense, and it's kind of been an offensive revolution that's changed the course of the season for both teams after September. And it both happened when they each started giving their quarterbacks, whether it was putting a certain quarterback into the game or, in Penn State's case, just giving McSorley more free reign to run with the ball. But it's basically been... Their quarterback's legs who have changed the fate of their season in a way. Um, they both have strong run games. They both have very talented receiving cores. But despite all those similarities, the way they've done it kind of under the hood, the numbers are very strikingly different. Like Penn State has been getting by, obviously, as we know by now, on just pure explosiveness. They're fifth ranked in uh, offensive explosiveness, and they've done a pretty decent job of limiting it. They're ranked 47th on defense, whereas USC is 84th on offense and 93rd on defense. But then when you flip it, Penn State has not been very efficient. They're the 82 ranked offensive there and 29th on defense. USC is 10th and 16th, respectively. Uh, field position, Penn State has put their offense in a great starting field position. They're sixth in the country, 
but only okay on defense, 47th, whereas USC is 46th on offense and 19th on defense. Finishing drives, Penn State's been great on both sides of the ball. USC's been pretty average. Quarter by quarter, Penn State's been remarkably average in the first half. USC's been dominant. Second half, Penn State has been arguably the best second half team in the country, and USC becomes pretty average in the fourth quarter. They actually become pretty below average. So it's two teams that have done very similar things this season. They've both taken down behemoths in their path. They've both defied the odds of their poor starts, and yet they've both done it in extremely different ways while appearing to be similar. So that's just going to make for a really, really interesting matchup altogether. And I, it's not a stretch to say this could be the most exciting game of bowl season, despite the fact that it doesn't hold playoff implications, obviously. Um, as far as my prediction, it's, it's to the point with this Penn State team that I really don't feel like I'm in a place to doubt what they can do at this point. I have no... There's... I can say with 100% confidence that Penn State will go into halftime down at least 10 points to USC. At least. I would expect even maybe a 14-point gap or more. But what Joe Moorhead, Matt Limegrover, Gaddis, Ronnie, what they have done with their halftime adjustments, just the way the offense has changed, the way that Brent Pry's defense has been able to clamp down and limit plays, just everything they've done with those second half adjustments this year has been nothing short of remarkable. It's, it has been this, this coaching staff has done, has put on one of the best coaching performances that I've seen as a football fan. Halftime adjustments are, I mean, they make or break a football team and, what they've been able to do is incredible. So I, I mean, at this point they deserve the benefit of the doubt. So I'm going to say that Penn state is able to take this one by a final of something probably pretty similar to the big 10 championship game. And I'll say 38 to 31. Yeah. Total aside. Uh, but while you were talking about how great this coaching staff has been and the job that they've done and whatnot, uh, it, dawned on me that everyone is back next year which is yep. yeah that that's very very good uh so i, I i'm <laughs> thank you randy edsel for taking yes, that you thank you job. randy edsel and thank you you are UCon- the gift that keeps on giving thank you yukon for deciding that the best thing for your football program was to bring back randy edsel because you did a favor to penn state it I, I, I can't even begin to describe how happy that made me. Um, I actually have a friend who went to UConn, and she was very mad about that. Uh, but yeah, uh, I'm like I want to be in the same boat as you. Uh, I want to say that Penn State's going to win this game, uh, I, but I'm just too terrified to make a pick that involves Penn State winning, uh, mostly because I still can't totally believe that Penn State is in the Rose Bowl. Uh, so I will say high-scoring game, Fun game. I think Adore Jackson gets one touchdown. I don't know how he does it. Uh, but I think this ends up something like 38-35 USC. I think Penn State does go down. Uh, pretty, uh, like, they don't take a an exactly a, a two-score lead into halftime. I mean, USC is a very, very good first-half team. Their quarter one S&P plus, fifth and 18th offense and defense, quarter two, fifth and fourth offense and defense. So I think that they're going to get out to a sizable lead in the uh, first half. I just 
don't think that Penn State, when it makes its big run in the second half that we've all kind of gotten accustomed to, and it'll be to the point that we're all just sitting there and Penn State's down, and we go, yeah, whatever. I mean, they'll be fine. I don't think they'll be able to come all the way back, but I do think they're going to make this one really, really entertaining. And both teams are going to have a lot to uh, a lot to deal with. These are two awesome, awesome football teams that are capable of playing some really entertaining ball. Again, 35-34 USC, it's going to rule. I am so, so, so excited for this one. I'm excited to go out there too. Uh, Dan, what about yourself? Oh, I'm sorry. I was busy writing the check that we send to Bill Connolly every time we do one of these podcasts. <laughs> oh, thank you. That's usually uh, that's usually my responsibility, so I appreciate Yeah, that. I know. I'm writing it on your guys' behalf. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. The memo says, with love from Bill and Nick. Yeah, you're uh, yeah. I forgot we gave you, even though you haven't written anything, that we gave you the company credit card, so. I know. And the company stationery. I'm yeah. starting to feel a little bit guilty about it, but, you know, that that's not going to deter me yet. Um, well, here's the way that I look at it. I, w- I was pretty much a coin flip on this. I was about 50-50, and then, you know, the news comes down about the suspensions, and, you know, it gives USC that little bit of an edge, and I think it really is going to have an impact in the run game, and that's already a, a strength of USC's, and it's it's something where if you're a team that has a lead, that's what you want to rely on in the second half, so I think Penn State's offense there's no way you can doubt them in the second half but the one thing you can do as an opponent of penn state is kill the clock run the football uh wisconsin was unable to do it but i think usc with going up with you know a a two-back system here and a quarterback that can run a little bit an offensive line that's playing really strong in the run game going up against a manny bowenless penn state i think that there are things now that they can exploit that you know scheme at some point isn't going to be able to necessarily cover up so i think it just becomes a matter of Penn State never quite having the opportunity to, you know, take the lead back in the second half because USC is killing the clock here. Talk about them being a strong first half team. I, you know, I think the trend continues of Penn State falling behind and trying to battle back in, and USC just being a team that, between the running game and between you know their excellence in special teams, uh, being able to control the field position, control the clock a little bit, and just being able to uh, never let Penn State get all the way back into it. So I, I, I sort of see it being that, uh, that sort of a game as well. Um, so I give a slight edge to USC, but I'm in no way confident in that. I, you know, like you guys said, it's very tough to, to be betting against Penn state at this point with the season that they've put together. So, uh, you know, there's not that, that much that would surprise me in this game, uh, with the, uh, some of the players that are involved. Um, you know, but I do, I, I do feel like, uh, USC has the edge now and that's, that's the way I'm leaning here. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I think that's, uh, unless there is anything that you guys would like to discuss further about USC, I think that's uh, that, that's all for this game. So speak now or forever hold your silence, I suppose. It's going to be a hell of a game. It will be, and as, a, as someone who is a Notre Dame fan back in the day, I would very much like to see USC, uh, USC lose because I am still not over the bush bush. Uh, but I, I have a, I had just have a quick message for a listener of the podcast. Yeah, go ahead. Lamont. Hi. <laughs> did you, did you watch the pit game? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. 
Yeah, I've well, we'll I'm sure we'll talk about this uh, during our uh, during our National Signing Day podcast. But it's kind of scary how much I've already fallen in love with Lamont Wade and how much that dude loves Penn State and his his dedication uh, to trolling the University of Pittsburgh and its football program and the people who cover it in a in an unofficial capacity. So Lamont Wade and as a quick you know, as a quick PSA now. For that National Signing Day podcast, I promise you, listeners, I will not allow Bill to make this another two-hour podcast. No, nope, I. Here's the thing: I will also and, and uh, don't don't tweet it, recruits. Yes, don't tweet it, recruits. That, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that that's that's it for USC. Are, are there any uh, other bold game things that you guys would like to discuss at all? Like Dan, we didn't have you on our uh, our Big Ten bowl preview thing. Are there any? Any Big Ten bowl thoughts that you have in, uh, up in uh, that that you want to spit out for everyone? Or nope, don't care at all. Awesome, uh, Nick. Do you this have... I, I'd say this isn't a this isn't a bowl thought per se, um, but just kind of future podcasting news. Um, so as football season comes to a close, obviously we won't be talking football um, with too much regularity. Aside from big events, we'll probably try to do this. What like. At least once a month, I'd say, because we'll have the basketball podcast going on, and so those will be podcasts. But um, we are going to at least attempt to start up a hockey podcast with myself and our fantastic hockey writer Doug, okay. and possibly some special guests here and there. So definitely, if you are interested in hockey, Penn State hockey, or you want to become interested in hockey, look for those because those are going to be awesome. Yeah, definitely. Uh, we're also uh, we have Nick and I are in the very introductory stages of doing an episode of this podcast that involves bringing a bunch of friends on and it should be a, should be a blast. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, unless I'm forgetting everything, I think that's it for this episode guys. Thank We got it. Then we got it. Lamont. All. Goodbye. Lamont. Goodbye. <laughs> and goodbye to all of you. Thank you as always uh, for listening to the podcast. Uh, support the site, keep reading, sharing everything. Follow us on all the social media channels that I've said a million times. Subscribe on SoundCloud or i or uh, iTunes or on Google Play. As always, on iTunes, leave us a review. Uh, Nick and I do actually read those. It, they do come in handy. We really appreciate them. Uh, and buy a shirt. We got the uh, Big Ten Champion shirts in today. And I suppose if Penn State wins the Rose Bowl and you ask nicely, uh, Grovich will... I don't know, we'll make him draw a rose on your shirt and ruin it for you or something like that. So, yeah, thank you one last time for Dan Smith, for Nick Pollock. I am Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Narduzzi lost to Northwestern.